Letter four of Clarissa Harlow, volume two. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nicole Lee. Clarissa Harlow, volume two, by Samuel Richardson. Letter four. Miss Howe to Miss Clarissa Harlow, Thursday morning, ten o'clock, March twenty-third. I will postpone, or perhaps pass by, several observations which I had to make on other parts of your letters, to acquaint you that Mr. Hickman, when in London, found an opportunity to inquire after Mr. Lovelace's town life and conversation. At the cocoa-tree in Pall Mall, he fell in with two of his intimates, the one named Belton, the other Mowbray, both very free of speech, and probably as free in their lives, but the waiters paid them great respect and on Mr. Hickman's inquiry after their characters, called them men of fortune and honour. They began to talk of Mr. Lovelace of their own accord, and upon some gentleman in the room asking when they expected him in town, answered that very day. Mr. Hickman, as they both went on praising Lovelace, said he had indeed heard that Mr. Lovelace was a very fine gentleman, and was proceeding when one of them interrupting him said, Only, sir, the finest gentleman in the world, that's all and so he led them on to expatiate more particularly on his qualities, which they were very fond of doing, but said not one single word in behalf of his morals, mind that also, in your uncle's style. Mr. Hickman said that Mr. Lovelace was very happy, as he understood, in the esteem of the ladies, and smiling to make them believe he did not think amiss of it, that he pushed his good fortune as far as it would go. Well put, Mr. Hickman, thought I, equally grave and sage, thou seemest not to be a stranger to their dialect, as I suppose this is. But I said nothing, for I have often tried to find out this mighty sober man of my mother's, but hitherto have only to say, that he is either very moral, or very cunning. No doubt of it, replied one of them, and out came an oath, with a who would not, that he did as every young fellow would do. Very true, said my mother's Puritan, but I hear he is in treaty with a fine lady. So he was, Mr. Belton, said, the devil fetch her vile brute, for she engrossed all his time, but that the lady's family ought to be something, Mr. Hickman desired to be excused repeating what, though he had repeated what was worse, and might dearly repent their usage of a man of his family and merit. Perhaps they may think him too wild, cries Hickman, and theirs is, I hear, a very sober family. Sober, said one of them, a good honest word, Dick. Where the devil has it lain all this time? Damn me if I have heard of it in this sense ever since I was at college. And then, said he, we banded it about, among twenty of us, as an obsolete. These, my dear, are Mr. Lovelace's companions. You'll be pleased to take notice of that. Mr. Hickman said this put him out of countenance. I stared at him, and with such a meaning in my eyes, as he knew how to take, and so was out of countenance again. Don't you remember, my dear, who it was that told a young gentleman designed for the gown, who owned that he was apt to be too easily put out of countenance when he came into free company, that it was a bad sign, that it looked as if his morals were not proof, but that his good disposition seemed rather the effect of accident and education than of such a choice as was founded upon principle. And don't you know the lesson the very same young lady gave him? To endeavour to stem and discountenance vice, and to glory in being an advocate in all companies for virtue, particularly observing that it was natural for a man to shun or to give up what he was ashamed of, which he should be sorry to think his case on this occasion, adding, that vice was a coward, and would hide its head, when opposed by such a virtue as had presence of mind, and a full persuasion of its own rectitude to support it. 
the lady you may remember modestly put her doctrine into the mouth of a worthy preacher dr lewen as she used to do when she has a mind not to be thought what she is at so early an age and that it may give more weight to anything she hit upon that might appear tolerable was her modest manner of speech mr hickman upon the whole professed to me upon his second recovery that he had no reason to think well of mr lovelace's morals from what he heard of him in town yet his two intimates talked of his being more regular than he used to be that he had made a very good resolution that of old tom wharton was the expression that he would never give a challenge nor refuse one which they praised in him highly that in short he was a very brave fellow and the most agreeable companion in the world and would one day make a great figure in his country since there was nothing he was not capable of i am afraid that his last assertion is too true and this my dear is all that mr hickman could pick up about him and is it not enough to determine such a mind as yours if not already determined yet it must be said too that if there be a woman in the world that can reclaim him it is you and by your account of his behaviour in the interview between you i own i have some hope of him at least this i will say that all the arguments he then used with you seem to be just and right and if you are to be his but no more of that he cannot after all deserve you end of letter four